welcome to Church and Other Drugs, and I ambushed my mom on the phone. Miriam, welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, happy Mother's Day. Well, that was kind of my Thank excuse. Um, so, Miriam, what do you think about demons? Ooh, well, that's a question right out of the blue. All right, well, here, how about, um, do you, would you rather okay, that, I, do you want me to popcorn you some specific questions? Yeah, that'd be easier. Okay. I believe in them. All right, all right, here we go. So, can demons cause you physical sickness? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. Can demons cause you mental illness? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I'll go with that. Um, the serpent in Genesis, was that Satan? Yes. Who is Satan? The devil. <laughs> okay, <laughs> who is the devil? Um, I... One of God's angels that rebelled, a pretty high up. Angel. Okay. Where where does it say that Satan was an angel that rebelled? Hmm. And I will be sending this to your pastor. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've um, thought about that or studied it um would you be shocked to know that the only only place in the bible that references anything about a rebellion and angels and not even specifically is in revelation where it talks about the great dragon the war in heaven and he swept his tail and a third of the stars fell with him that is the only place that it says anything about a rebellion interesting huh okay yeah it is yeah but you're you're right that's what everyone thinks is like yep one of one of god's angels that rebelled took a bunch of angels with them right what where does the bible say demons came from um i get uh that they were the angels that went with him i think yep and it doesn't even say <laughs> that's in that's in uh the only like explanation given is in enoch Isn't that interesting? It never says. That's very it never yeah. says in the in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I know. Well, I'm feeling stupid. <laughs> no, you are. You are. No. Oh, everyone's mad at me now because I made my mom feel dumb. <laughs> no, I thought the same thing. Every everyone thinks the same thing, right? So the that's yeah. like the the Enochian explanation is that uh, the offspring, the watchers came down and mated with women and created the Nephilim, and the Nephilim were destroyed, and the leader of the watchers went to Gabriel, the archangel, and was like, hey, let me talk to God. And he was like, hey, God, let if you want your work, like the work that I'm supposed to do, which is, you know, because he was assigned a task of, like, mm -hmm. uh, accusing humanity. He's like, I'm going to need help, so please allow a tenth of... The spirits to remain on earth and god was like okay and that's where demons came from so there weren't angels hmm. they were never hmm. angels well, according to scripture so so widespread i mean exactly everybody knows about that well the a lot of it was it's it's, it's just a classic example of tradition becoming um what's the word um not canon, but um, liturgy or, um, gosh, I'm brain farting. Now I'm dumb. It's basically tradition became teaching where it, it was like, this isn't, this mm -hmm. isn't really what it said. It just, it just keeps getting passed down. And like, it was just like, you know, widely accepted. And then you had like things like uh, the divine comedy and like Dante's Inferno that really shaped mm -hmm. the ideas of like hell and the, the devil and, you know dragon imagery and stuff 
Right. But, so, go ahead. Okay. Well, what about, um, you know, in the New Testament where it talks about, um, about being influenced or... Um, That, you know, Satan uh, prowls around looking for somebody, looking for people to... To devour. Destroy and... Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there are forces of darkness for sure. But it's it's like weird how the... It's it's like a translation thing, how like, you know, Satan or Ha-Satan is, is a... It's, um, it's a title... So I mean, in Job, Satan, that's that wasn't like Satan as we think of. That was just the the person in God's counsel that whose job it was was to watch humans and accuse them, like say, "Hey, he's doing this." That was a, a Satan. It was like a courtroom um, job. Hmm. It's crazy. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> It is. <laughs> it's so much stuff. I, and I didn't, so we're, we'll get to the interview with, with Dr. Heiser. Um, I'm still reading through demons. I guess I'll I'll send you a copy. Um, well, really, you need to start with the unseen realm and then angels and then demons. But I'll send you the copy. But it's, it's mind-blowing stuff. And he, as you'll see, his... His his main goal is because it's all scholarly stuff, so it's not really his opinion so much as it's this is what the the who the Bible like the Bible wasn't written for us, but it was written to us, right? Like it was written for the right. first century Jews. Right. So like this is what they believed. This is what the script the scripture is actually saying, and that's kind of all all, all it is. It's just like look. This is this is all it actually says about it, and taking away the myth and tradition and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. I'll be interested to read it. All right. Well, and uh, listen to this episode that I'm about to go put out. Oh, there. I will. Uh, before we go, what's your favorite memory of me as a son? <laughs> <laughs> is the time I ambushed you on a podcast. Uh, yeah, that's one of my least favorite. Okay. We'll go ahead and uh, yeah. shout out Aunt Mel, too. Cousin Mel. I know, but I call her Aunt Mel. Well, she is like an aunt. I know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mel. You'll have to call her one day. <laughs> I will. We'll, we'll. I'll let you do it, and you can ambush her with random questions. Um, All right. Favorite son memory, and then I'll let you go. Oh, gosh. Um, oof. easier to think of the not favorite um favorite. um but uh probably the um the sunday after you were baptized and we had all the family over at our house and um you thanked everybody coming and for coming and uh for being there for you and um it was just real sweet. Oh, is that the the famous episode where Popeye like a single tear rolled down his cheek or something? <laughs> well, well, he was very touched. It was, oh, yeah, it was a sweet day. It, it was all downhill from there, huh? No, that's not <laughs> true. <laughs> all right, well, I love you, mom, and uh, say um, here's Doctor Heiser. Oh wait, and say uh, love, send me an I love email you too. Wait, say send me an email at churchandotherdrugs.com, at gmail.com. Send me an email at churchandotherdrugs.com. Become um, a patron. And become a patron. Listen to the podcast, and here's Dr. Heiser. Great job.
right, so I am here with Mike Heiser yet again. Uh, Mike, how you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me back. How I'll, I'll get the obligatory how are you doing during quarantine question out of the way. <laughs> well, you know, if, if it if it wasn't serious, I would say this is awesome. Uh, it's like this is the perfect thing for introverts like me. But, you know, and, and my daughter, my, my daughter looked at me after the first couple of days, you know, a month ago and said, this is like introvert heaven. Oh, I know. <laughs> my my wife is the same way. But for her, it's it was like so she's introverted and always stays in. But as soon as someone told her that they you have to stay in, then all of a sudden <laughs> she's like, oh, now I want to do things. So yeah, we didn't have that problem. <laughs> uh, are you using this time to uh, work on any new, I mean, it's funny that you just had a book come out, but uh, yeah. working on any new projects or anything? Yeah, I mean, I, this is, this is basically what I, what I do anyway. I mean, I don't, I don't do interviews or video unless, you know, I'm, I'm asked to do them. Like I don't, I don't go looking for it. So most of the time I'm just sort of burrowed uh, in in an office, you know, working on something. So it, it doesn't feel any different to me. I mean, I, other than the normal, you know, day job, which, you know, that has changed because the new school, you know, we had to go, we had, we had a live class that had about a hundred students in it. And then the distance ed is, is about 700 students, nothing changed for them, but for the live, we had to to record, you know, video record the lectures, you know, and then upload them. So we're, but we're, we're through that for the first semester. <clears throat> so other than that, it's just producing content. So, you know, it's pretty normal. I, I'm, I have three book manuscripts in progress right now. So I, I putter away at whichever one kind of pops into my head first. <laughs> Jeez. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to be uh, mindful of your time. And so, all right. So full disclosure, I just got the book last week. So I haven't had a chance to, I'm not a terribly fast reader, so I haven't had a chance to read all of it, but I have um, written down a bunch of questions as I usually do because mm -hmm. I love your, your knowledge on this subject. So what I'm thinking for today is I'm, uh, some of the things I, outlined out of the book and just wrote down some questions for and then just kind of some general questions on the subject sure. sound good yep. yep sounds like a plan all right so the the book is demons what the bible really says about the powers of darkness uh it's kind of your follow-up companion to angels i guess is that fair to say yeah yeah i would say companion and the subtitle with this one is as deliberate as the other one was you know the the angels book, you know, what God, what the Bible really says about God's heavenly host, again, telegraphing or cryptically maybe, that, hey, angel isn't the, the only term for the members of the heavenly host, and it's really not what they are anyway. Um, and then for demons, it's, you know, what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness. You know, here's telegraphing the point that not all the powers of darkness are demons, you know, but again, that's typically what we think. So uh, it's very, very intentional and it is designed to be sort of the other bookend, you know, to angels. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the big um, revelations or awakenings I've had is, is these seemingly widely accepted traditional views and ideas that it's like you ask any person on the street, non-Christian or not, like, who is Satan? And they'll give you the answer of like, oh, probably, you know, the leader of the fallen angels, God's arch nemesis, uh, horns, forked cloven hooves, tail, that sort of thing. You know, what are demons? Oh, they're fallen angels. And it's like to find out um, that that is grossly uh, inaccurate in regards to what the text is actually saying is is pretty shocking. It. It's at times exhausting because I've heard this argument before, and um, it's so is the Bible even can the lay person just pick up the Bible, read it, and understand it accurately? I don't know if I worded that correctly, but yeah. without having because there's just so much research, subtext, context to understand and it's it's it seems like and i guess that's how so many people 
um, so many different prominent like evangelical pastors will will just read the same verse and come with these vastly different um, translations for it. And I, yeah, you know, I I blank. think I think the answer to your question is how much precision are we asking for with a term like accurate? Um, you know, the average person I think is can certainly read the Bible. Um, you know, I'm assuming they, it's, this isn't a skim, like, like they're actually closely reading it. I think they can read the Bible and come out with, you know, who's on the, who's on the good side, who's on the bad side, you know, that sort of thing. And, and kind of get the lay of the land a little bit, uh, again, lacking precision, certainly, but just the, the basics are comprehensible. Um, you know, like anything else in life, you know, whether it's medicine or law or history or, you know, English literature, I mean, any subject, the basics are basic. (laughs) There's, there's a lot of precision that, you know, isn't in the basics that if you want a real, you know, a real sound, real deep understanding of what's going on, you have to move well beyond the basics to get that. So if that's what's required, no, no, you're not going to get it just on a read through of your English Bible. Uh, if you want, again, sort of the basics, yeah, you know, you can do okay with that enough to, to navigate um, what you need to navigate, you know, who God is, who Jesus is, what the gospel is, you know, what, what the basics of the story are, that sort of thing. So we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't discourage people, you know, from reading their Bible because any more than we sure. could would discourage them from reading, I don't know, you know, Shakespeare or something. Yeah, or, that's know. a good, that's a good way of putting you it. Know, you know, you, you'll get something out of it. Chances are, you know, that, you know, you'll, you'll succeed more times than fail in, in understanding the basics. And that, that's good enough, you know, for a lot of people, but this is the word of God. So my only question, or not my only question, but I guess my major question to, to Christians, you know, when you get pushed back on, oh, you know, like who cares about all the details? Well, you know, this is the thing you say is inspired. It's the word of, I'll slow down now, God. <laughs> so so you, you might want to invest a little more time into it, a little more thought into it. You might want to look at it more carefully because of what you claim that it is. You either believe that or you don't, and, you, and your, your, your behavior toward it ought to reflect what you believe. Oh, that's good. And uh, a quick aside, this is one thing I've noticed. So I'm also um, a member of, of Alcoholic Ano Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. that community and their basic text, the uh, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it's just the first 164 pages or what they read. And I've, you know, over the years been to so many book studies and in-depth um, conferences, lectures where they will, I mean, I, m- the joke I always make is like, how many, wor- how many different ways can you define the word the, like what did the authors <laughs> meant when they said the, but right. I think a, a good thing from that is like, man, I, I want, I've always wished, and that was part of the impetus for my podcast creation was like, I've always wished I could go to Bible studies like that. And I know they, they do exist. I'm not ignorant to that, but, um, around me or just where like we can have, not the canned answer to all the simple questions, but like, let's really like dive deep and see what they're talking about. And I guess that's just, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's what I do is for people like you, you know, again, I've said it many times that, that what, you know, the recipe is pretty simple. You know, I'm trying to take, trying to convince, you know, people, first of all, to read the Bible through ancient eyes, you know, the, the, the world view, the worldview of the writer, and his original audience who lived at the same time. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. So let, let's let's embrace that for the reality that it is. And then beyond that point, I try to take, you know, high biblical scholarship, you know, peer-reviewed scholarship, and ferret out the nuggets in there that people, you know, will really appreciate or distill, you know, the content into decipherable terms, because most people aren't going to go out and get degrees. But there are a lot of people who are really interested, you know, in examining scripture and just need somebody to get rid of the jargon 
you know, and, and, you know, sort of dispense that material in a way that they can wrestle with it, you know, and understand it. Yeah, no, 100%. So with that, let's get into demons. Sweet. Uh, we can, (laughs) (laughs) um, let's start with the, we'll start in Genesis, the serpent in the garden. Mm -hmm. Who or what is that? Yeah. And we're actually going to pretty much, well, we won't stay in Genesis, but you know, I mean, you probably picked up on, I I don't know how far into the book that you've read, but you've, you've probably already detected what makes the book different than all other books on this subject. You know, I, I like to say for Unseen Realm that the dirty little secret of my earlier book, Unseen Realm, is that Mike never had an original thought. You know, what I do is connect dots. I'm a I'm a synthesizer. And and demons is more of the same. Angels, you know, was more of the same. Just a question of the level of detail. However, this book is the only one of its kind be, that approaches the whole subject of the powers of darkness from the perspective of three, not just one, but three uh, supernatural rebellions that produce bad guys. The first one is Genesis 3, which is where we're starting logically. Mm-hmm. But then you're going to have two others. You know, this one you know, has, has a lone rebel as the focus. You know, we, have, we have both human and supernatural rebels in these rebellions, these three rebellions, stretching from Genesis 1 through 11. But this is where everything gets started. And, you know, you... If you walked up to the average Christian and said, hey, you know, the, you know, what happened in the garden there, you know, who, who tempted Eve? Well, that was Satan or the devil, they'll say. Well, is, is the devil really a, a snake or is he like a, a cosmic being of some sort? You know, and, and most Christians will say, well, you know, he's really a, you know, a, a cosmic being. They'll, they might call him a fallen angel or something like that. In other words, they have a sense because of what happens in the New Testament and the way the original rebel is talked about, that he's a person. He's not a member of the animal kingdom. You know, upper, but upper when, shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah. You know, it cha- you know, the angel of light thing, you know, that sort of thing. But they, they recognize at the core, this is not something that's going to, you know, one day lay eggs and have young. You know, <laughs> <laughs> You know, that you could sort of cut in half and, well, that's the end of that guy. You know, right? this isn't a zoology lesson, but but I've been fascinated a lot by the fact that when I lead with that out of the gate, that this this is a this is a supernatural being. This isn't really a snake. He might might be in the form of a snake. Maybe this is some appearance that he takes that's like a snake. I mean, there's different different ways to think about it, and then you, you know you take the verb or the, the word you know nakash, which could be a noun, a verb, or an adjective. You know, it's the they, they, the meaning of, of the term could go off in different directions, and you know one of which is serpent, the second of which is the one who dispenses you know revelation or divination, and then the third one is this luminosity char- you know characteristic shining. You know, I mean, and I talked about this in unseen realm, but if you start in with that, it's amazing how many people think you're nuts, you know, and it's like, well, I'm just proceeding from an assumption that you already have, that this isn't, again, an, an egg-laying you know, member of the animal kingdom. Sure. This isn't zoology. Um, but they don't really think about it, is the point. You know, and, and so this is what I'm trying to do. We have an original rebel. He's called by various names. There are chapters like Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 that that are telling the same kind of story, the supernatural rebellion, in the divine council, in the place, you know, in the divine abode, which is what Eden is. Again, if you ask the average Christian, hey, is Eden where God lives? Well, yeah, that's where he came came to earth. This is where he's at. He's not he's not in Montana. He's in Eden, you know. Um, but but if you start talking about it like the like the cosmic abode of God, and, and this is where everything happens, and and you know in in the, in God's where God lives, His throne room is there, and He has attendants like cherubim. It's, I mean, if you start putting all these pieces together, it, again, it's amazing that the, the number of people that will look at you like you're nuts. Yeah. But all you're doing is connecting the dots. That's all you're doing. And, you know, you're letting other passages like Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. And I know for your listeners, I know they're not about Satan. I, I know that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a biblical scholar. I, I, I know that. 
That's not a, uh, it's not a brain teaser. One's about, you know, a diatribe against the, the Prince of Babylon, the King of Babylon, the other one's the King of Tyre. You know, but, but the writers are using the story of a supernatural rebellion in God's house, as it were, to, you know, basically turn these kings into the whipping boys, okay? That because what hubris, what kind of hubris does it take to say, I know better than God, or I could run the show better than God, or I think God's idea stinks, I'm going to interfere with it. Mm. What kind of hubris does that take? And so they're using this episode to, again, tar and feather these kings, but it's the same basic story, this rebellion, as Genesis 3 is telling. And so I'm like, well, you know, isn't it interesting how there's terminology and concepts that appear in all three of these passages? Maybe we would get something out of all three of them if we let them sort of talk to each other. You know, if we viewed them as complement, complementary uh, in, in the story they're telling. And these are very simple ideas, but as you, you know, have affirmed for me, my own experience is that you, you get into this and people look at you like you're nuts, like, like you got two heads, uh, because they have not thought about it. And that's, again, what we're trying to fix here. Well, and uh, especially, I think, with the newer maybe not newer, but the recent progressive Christianity movement where, I mean, I've heard things like, oh, Satan is just a metaphor for the ego. Um, Yeah, it's all basically like a humanist perspective where the the idea of forces, spiritual darkness is just largely allegorical, not largely, but is entirely allegorical. It's all... um, just supposed to represent different yeah. parts of, of the human psyche or whatever. Yeah, just, and, and, if you, and if you walked up to one of them, one of these, again, you use the word progressive, and that certainly fits. But, but I think this is drifting over the midpoint line in evangelicalism on into what we would call conservative evangelicalism. I think it's there, too. And if you walked up to one of these Christians and said, oh, now, allegory and metaphor, you know, like like not real persons, but but you know, like allegorically or metaphorically talking about a concept, just like Jesus, right? Oh. <laughs> just like the Trinity, right? Yeah. Just like angels. Just like the the, the gospel. I mean, all, all of these things. You know, how about just like God? At, yeah. at the end of the day, because what what we have here is we have. I think most people who would go down this road, they're, they're doing it unwittingly. They don't know how destructive to their own faith this actually is. Because what they're doing is they're, they're taking the material of the Bible, the stuff that the Bible talks about in relation to the supernatural world, And they're putting it in two buckets. There's bucket A and there's bucket B. Bucket A is the stuff that, you know, we really need. We need to believe there's a God. We need to really believe in the Trinity. We need to really need to believe in the incarnation, that the the son became a man. And because that's the linchpin to salvation, we really need the resurrection. You know, we, we need all these things. And so you know, they're they're gonna witness to a lost world and say, the stuff in bucket A, you know. You, get, you need to believe that, and we're going to challenge you to believe that because it's all integral to the whole concept of sin and salvation. But the stuff in bucket B, that's metaphorical and allegorical. All this Satan stuff and demons and principalities and powers and possession, all, you, know, you don't need to believe that. And all it takes is the, is the intelligent unbeliever to say, well, so let me, get, let me see if I understand this correctly. You're telling me that I, that I need to believe certain things the Bible says about the supernatural world, but not others. But the same, they come from the same source, the Bible. Right? So why should I believe any of it? You know, what, on, on what basis are you making the two buckets? Because it's the same source and it's the same subject matter, the supernatural world. And, you know, as soon as, again, I've said on a number of other shows, all it's going to take is an enterprising atheist to put their finger on this methodological inconsistency and start beating that drum. Mm. Okay. You know, and my message to, to people who are, 
who would listen to that is, look, you know, have no fear because the both buckets should be believed because they both derive from a single point. That is the idea that there is a God. Okay, and that has been successfully defended for millennia, even by, even by unbelievers. Okay, that is a coherent point that will not go away. Okay, and all these other things are derivative from that. So our apologetic actually stays the same. But, but what certain, you know, again, sectors in, in evangelicalism are doing is they're creating this two-bucket dilemma, which is a phony dilemma. But, but, but they, they want it because they're afraid to believe in bucket B. They think somehow it's more respectable to believe in bucket A. You know, that, that somehow that's more intellectually responsible to believe the bucket A stuff but not the bucket B. When the reality is that nothing, nothing we believe about the spiritual world conforms to an enlightenment worldview or a materialistic worldview. Zero. Nothing. You know, and, and we need to own that and we need to, we need to, you know, we need to take it to the other side and say, look, all of this is derivative from the proposition that there is a God. So go ahead and defeat that. I'll watch. Hmm. You're not going to be able to do it. Nobody has ever been able to do it. Okay, it, 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 is, a, it is a point that doesn't even conflict with science, okay? I mean, it, you know, it, it, this, is a, this is as secure a proposition as, as you got right here. And all these other ones extend from it. But again, no, nobody's really thinking on those terms right now. They, they, are, they are jettisoning ideas that they think they just can't believe to gain a serious hearing from a friend or, you know, coworker that they want to talk to about the Lord. You know, they, they want to, they want to appear more modern, more with it, you know, more intellectually, you know, responsible, whatever it is. And, and nobody has rattled that cage yet saying your method is hopelessly inconsistent and it, and it, it's going to do damage down the road. So that, that's a conversation that's beginning. You know, and it wasn't just prompted by by the demons book. This is this has been prompted by unseen realm as well. Oh, for sure. You know, so, well, but it, it's going to happen. Well, and I think, and this is kind of one of my questions, but it it, it ties into this very well. Is I, I one of the perhaps one of the big issues it, with this sort of uh, angels, demons, the supernatural is how how does it apply to our modern lives sh how should it apply to our modern lives what does it change about our day-to-day -day? and i guess the the whole ideas of because one of the the lines being drawn i guess is is the people that oh i got a flat tire those demons are after me today yeah. Yeah. versus you know sit, um you have the people still into heavy spiritual healing so how where how does it fit you, practically into our life today? Here's a practical observation. Again, this is for for some reason I I don't know why. <laughs> I, I I often feel like am I the only person who like thinks this thought because this this feels really obvious to me and it, it's helpful, but it doesn't seem like anybody else is thinking it. Okay, so here we go again. If you read through Scripture, do we realize? that what we have in the Bible is a very limited amount of information. The Bible is not a chronicle of every day, of every apostle, of every early believer, of every experience. It's none of these things. It's a limited, selective accounting of what happened with Jesus and the resurrection and the early church and all this stuff. What that means is, the stuff that is pulled out, some of it, even, even in, within the limited pool, you don't get a supernatural encounter on every page of the Bible. Most of it isn't that. And so if we extrapolate that the fact out that even that data pool is limited, most of the time, quote-unquote, spiritual activity is you know, is in the minority of, if, if, every, if everybody was keeping diaries, it wouldn't be on that many pages. It would happen. You'd have encounters with angels. You'd have encounters with people who are possessed or, with, you know, demonic, this or that. 
it would happen because it's real. But where did we ever get the idea that everything that happens to us has a demon or an angel pushing the button? Mm. Where did we ever get that? You don't get it from the Bible. I mean, you, you just don't. What, you know, and, and so the, the sub question is, well, okay, if that isn't the case, well, then how are supernatural beings involved? Okay. Well, we can say how they're not involved is they're not behind, they're not the cause to every effect. That we know out of the gate. So what we have to figure is that, you know, there is interest on both sides in what goes on here. We, we, we know that from, from the very beginning in Genesis. This is where the human story starts, you know, with God's announcement to his heavenly host that he's going to make humans and the imaging language that links, you know, heaven and earth and us and them and us and God and you know, all this stuff. So there, there's an interest out of the gate. There's a relationship between the two out of the gate. But the story is really about people. The story is really what happens here on earth. But the, the supernatural interest and the supernatural connection never goes away. But there's no evidence in Scripture to suggest that supernatural beings are the cause to every effect. So what we can, what we can garner from, from that is there is supernatural conflict. Okay, God has suffered in the spiritual world a number of rebellions, three rebellions. Those things have, pardon the pun, fallout in the way they affect humanity and the condition of the earth and, the, and you know, what we would call the, the cosmic worldview of, of good and evil. Those things are in operation all the time. So both things are in play, plainly human activities, and then you have this supernatural struggle that's in, in the background. If we look at Daniel 10, we have this, we have a teaching there that we have supernatural beings, Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece, behind geopolitical empires. Well, those empires were run by people, weren't they? They had emperors, they had tyrants, the tyrants had administrations, they had armies, you know, they had priesthoods, they had all this stuff. These empires are, are run by people, but scripture informs us that, you know, that a lot of that stuff that people do is somehow connected with this conflict between what God wants to happen, the way God wants to propel history, and the opposition he faces. So what we have is we have to start thinking about the spiritual world the way we think about the human world. Okay, what, what is your life? Okay, where, where you're at right now in life is the result not only of many decisions you have made, but each one of those decisions has a sort of a reverse rippling effect. This is why I like movies like It's a Wonderful Life. Because why did I make the right hand turn instead of the left? Well, you made it because you had an argument with your wife. And you had an argument with your wife because of something your kid did. And the thing your kid did was burn the toast. You know, I mean, all of these things, every blasted decision that we make, every situation we find ourselves in is, is a concatenation of these processes. These are these are, are situational things where we have the free will to make decisions. And God and the other side, the supernatural evil side, is is behind the scenes and he's using agents like supernatural beings. He's using people in this case. You know, he could have, you know, maybe if your wife, you know, wouldn't have, you know, had an argument with you, or maybe if you would have been in better control or something like that. There's there's you're you're put into situations and God can use people and beings that you don't see to nudge you toward making a decision. You can resist or obey. You can sense I should do this and then do it as opposed to, oh, I should do this, but I don't want to do that. I'm going to go off in this direction. This is how life is. On a human level, you know, everybody in your life that you encounter, again, they're at that point. They're at that intersection. They're behind that counter at the bank because of, of hundreds, thousands of decisions they made and others made that contributed to the decisions they made. If, if you get the picture here, you know, this, you know, again, we, we have, I think, too little of an appreciation for providence, both in our own life and in our own human condition and in relation to the spiritual world. See, we can believe if I, if I unwrap that, I mean, I could, I could take you through a movie like it's a wonderful life or, you know, one of these other, you know, you know, movies that are more recent, like the butterfly effect. Right, right. And you could you could see on a human level what led, you know, all the things that led to this one moment. But here's the adjustment. 
do we really believe that the same kinds of things are happening in the world we don't see? In other words, you don't need a demon or an angel to push a button to be every, every, the cause of every effect. There are situations that emerge from their own you know, struggle with each other, their own sort of attempt to influence humans. Because the one thing that, that we learn in biblical theology that, that God did not do, he would not do, is to remove free will. Because then they are not his imagers anymore if he withdraws that attribute, and we are not as well. So God is operating as a sovereign in a world with beings he has made that, are, that, that can make uncoerced decisions. And so, you know, God is dealing with all this. And so he, he enters the fray, as it were, you know, with, with the rule, again, because he can't just destroy us. I mean, and, and, you know, because then, then that's, that, that's like admitting a bad decision. Or, you know, we, we know all this, you know, that he's not going to remove who we are. He's not going to redefine the rules. Well, I made them my images in the beginning. That kind of stank. It just didn't go well. So I'm going to take, take a few attributes away. And now they're sort of robots. They're meat, you know, flesh puppets, you know, or, you know. No, he's not going to change the parameters of, of, of the game, of the drill. He operates within it because he has made it. And he's not surprised by what he has made and how it's gone because he knows we're not him. As soon as he gives us free will and as soon as he gave them free will, they're going to fail and they're going to rebel because they lack my perfect nature. I get it out of the gate. So this is the world in which we live. It has a, a visible and, a, and an invisible component to it. We don't need you know, them, the supernatural beings, to be the cause for every effect. They might be the cause, an immediate cause for something, or they might be a player, you know, 50 moves beforehand. You know, they, they might influence someone to do something, say something that, you know, 10 people removed from that person has a conversation with you that prompts you in a certain way, and then you have a decision to make. Okay, this is this is how things go. Okay, this is the actual picture, because you know, I've I've thrown a lot of theological parameters into that description, but this is how things go. And you know, we can't divorce the spiritual world, the supernatural world, from that, but we also can't can't blame them or credit them for everything either. Because God made us who we are. We are responsible beings. He is actively interested moment by moment in observing and, and extending his influence through human and supernatural agents throughout our lives. This is why what we do matters. And there's, a, you know, there, there's all sorts of practical ramifications for this. You know, this week, the woman who, when I was nine years old, you know, I... I my, I spent a lot of time at my grandma's because my parents had gotten divorced. Okay. So I'm nine years old. I'm, I'm, I'm at my grandma's house and next door there's this family and I meet this kid, boy, my same age. And we, we turn out to be best friends all the way through high school. His mom is single because her husband has left her because she became a Christian. She has four kids. Two of them have cystic fibrosis. I, I, I mean, I look back on it now. I don't know how they survived, but they did. But they were my first exposure to the gospel. So the fact that this woman, you know, who just passed away this week, and, and her son, the fact that they would just have conversations with me or invite me over to listen as they read the Bible together, that had a tremendous ripple effect. So, you know, I, I can sit here and, you know, I mean, people ask me questions like this, you know, like, what is it like to, to be Mike? You know, and, and I try to keep them awake through the answer. <laughs> you know, but it's like, look, yeah, I, I can say that probably conservatively, yeah, you know, maybe 200, 250 million people have heard my voice because of these shows I've been on. But you know where that came from? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just look at that. Hmm. So this is how life is. I mean, the, the things we do, the things we say, the decisions we make, they have an immediate effect on us, but they have this, there's this ongoing ripple effect that we will never see. And so I think it would be kind of nice if we come to terms with that and we wake up realizing that, you know what, the things I do and say today 
let, let's make the next person's job, whether they even know it or not, easier to propel the kingdom of God to do something right. Let's make their job easier. Let's set the table for the next guy or the next woman. Okay. Um, you know, I think if we, if we sort of lived with, you know, with that sort of realization, we would take more care in the way we can conduct our lives. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to, we're very human, obviously, you know, we're going to give in to temptation. We're going to get angry. We're going to, you know, do, do the right thing, even though, or the wrong thing, even though the right things in our head, we're, we're telling ourselves we should do that. We're just going to rebel. I mean, this is who we are. But if, if we could use this to try to, again, remind ourselves that we don't have to know where this one conversation could lead. You know, I tell somebody about the Lord and they laugh at me. Well, I mean, that we, we think that's the end of the road for that person. How would we know that? You know, if, if that person, you know, sees us six months later in a, in, a, in a situation where they know they would just blow up and curse a blue streak and we don't, they may never speak to us, but they'll remember that. You know, it, there, there, there's a cumulative effect in the lives of people, and, and it's a constant struggle, not only internally for us, but a, a, a constant struggle for God using people and against supernatural beings to try to put us in the right position, to steer us in the right direction. This is how God moves the kingdom forward despite our free will, despite us. He's moving it forward despite us for us, <laughs> is, is the irony of the whole thing. Um, because he's not going to change the rules in midstream, and he's not going to eliminate us. Oh, that, that, I think, that was, and it, I kind of this is where i relate to joe where it's kind of like well you just don't understand but it's that that was one of my things so in in like the enochian explanation of of um demons how they were allowed to a tenth of them were allowed to remain by request of the mm-hmm. head of the demons it's it's just one of these things where i get caught in the mental trap of okay so God has to have these good spirits to protect us from these bad spirits that he himself allowed to be here. And it's, I get caught and I recognize that it is a trap. It's just, I wonder how you. Yeah. I mean, God, God doesn't let, let's apply that question to the original Job one and two question. Okay. Okay. So the, 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 the Satan figure in Job one and two Hasatan. Okay, it, it, it's not the devil. Again, and I go through the book why. I went through Unseen Realm, you know, why this isn't the devil. And, you know, the term never gets applied to the serpent. And in this book, I try to explain why it, why it's okay that, that a later writer will use a term that an older writer didn't. It's still the same guy, and, he, and the shoe fits, so let him wear it. You know, all the terms are appropriate, no matter when they, they, they pop into use. But with, with that in mind, here you have a member of, of God's counsel. He shows up and God, you know, asks him you know, the obvious question. Hey, where you been? And he's supposed to report. And this is what this, this office does. You know, it's variously understood as a challenger or an adversary or a prosecutor. This is, he's actually part of, we, we did a, a whole episode on this on Naked Bible podcast. I think it, it's, it's a long time ago, something like 80 something. Uh, it, it's quite a while ago, but there's a there's a, a heavenly books motif in the Bible. We think of the Book of Life; that's the one everybody knows. But there's there are other books, and and the whole the whole idea behind the metaphor of the books is not that God has a bad memory. You know, He's like a deity with Alzheimer's. No, it, the, the the what you're supposed to learn from the metaphor is that God doesn't miss anything. And at the end of days, when there is an accounting given by you, in we're we're going to know who's right. And who isn't? Okay, so this guy, the Satan, is is he he goes and, and looks at people. He observes people. You know, are they are they obeying God? Are they not? What are they like? You know, so God says, "Hey, where have you been?" And the Satan says, "Well, I've been running to and fro throughout the, throughout the whole earth." And God says, "Yeah, you know, have, have you have you checked out Job? I mean, that guy is just—he's a wonderful guy. You know, he loves me. He's he's just unblemished. He's dedicated." And, and the Satan says, yeah, yeah, I've seen him. But you know what? If you took away all he had, he would curse you to your face. 
Now that crosses a line. He challenges God's assessment in two regards. One is he challenges God's omniscience. Does God really know what Job is like? And he also challenges God's character. Well, maybe God does, and he just doesn't want everybody else here in the room to know. Now, God could have wiped him out and destroyed him, you know, with, with the proverbial thunderbolt, you know, blows him, obliterates him to, to bits and says, don't ever talk to me like that again. But if God destroys him, guess what? The question is still on the table. Who was right? Was the Satan that just got blown to bits right? Or is God telling us that, you know, you know for everybody oh, else in the room there, they don't know. <laughs> so God That's says, okay, okay, here's what we'll do. You can do anything you want to Job except take his life. And you can't take his, you know, the, the, why, why, why that exception? Well, it, it's because God is cutting off this avenue that, that if Job dies, then the Satan can come back. Oh, yeah, but he died, you know, but if I'd have tried this, you know, he would have broken him. No, you can do anything you want except take his life. And we're going to see who's correct. Now, Job doesn't know any of this is going on. The reader does. Job isn't privy to any of this, and, and he suffers, you know, immensely. And, and that's the whole point of the book. Sometimes you suffer. And you just have no idea at all why. Even at the end of the book, when God restores, you know, what, what Job has lost, Job still doesn't know. He doesn't, God doesn't sit him down and say, hey, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> you know? yeah. He doesn't give him the explanation. You know, he, he more or less just says, you know, I, I knew what I was doing. You got to trust me. You did. You know, here you go. You know, um, and that applies to the to the the later or the not the later. Well, yeah, later if we're if we're talking about Job moving into the second temple period, it's the same issue there. You know, yeah, God can God could wipe all of these supernatural agents out. Is that going to be perceived as cheating? Well, God, God just did that to make his job easier. All he has to deal with now is humans. You know, God's taking a break. He's putting his feet up on the stool. You know, you, you know what I mean? It, it's like by having some of them there, it preserves the circumstance. Okay. You know, the, these are going to get punished, but we're going to allow this to remain to demonstrate the fact that I am so sovereign and so superior that they can do what they want and I'm still going to win. So let's do that. You know, it, it's just, it, it's how these things are framed and, and why, why they would be what they are and what, as opposed to something else. And, and again, typically we, we aren't, we aren't really, we're not processing, you know, the, the data, you know, in these ways, but I think we need to. And so in the demons book, again, this is, this is kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to do. Just, you know, you get the data on the, on, on the table so that people are aware of it. You know, you, you, Basically, you can't talk about everything in any book. So, you know, I've got two, another couple unseen realms in me, Lord willing, if, if, if I ever get to write those. And, but I, I'm, I'm trying to get the unseen realm was to build the framework. This is the starting point, as I say in the introduction. If you have the framework in your head, you will not be able to unsee what you've seen here. And that's a good thing because it'll, it'll help you read Scripture more intelligently. And now with angels and then with demons, you know, we're starting to to add in the detail, you know, fill in some of the gaps. You know, you can't fill in every gap, but eventually I, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, again, if, if the Lord tarries, you know, and the Lord willing, I, I want to build as much of the mosaic as I can, you know, for people, you know, to, to again, just help them be, become better readers and better thinkers about the story, you know, about the whole, you know, what, about what God wants. <laughs> You know, I, I wrote the little book, What Does God Want, after all these other ones, or not after demons. Well, that might have come after demons. It just never got published. You know, demons took so long to get out the door. But uh, again, that's for new believers. And that, that's, that's the starting point. What does God want? You know, it answers the question. Well, here's, here's what the Bible's about, just in a nutshell. And then, what, is, what is the short answer to the that? Sh the short answer is that God wants a family. Mm. God wants a human family. He, he created humans to be fit for sacred space from the get-go. You know, he wants a family, and he also wants partners. 
and, and, and partners, you know, with him to enjoy the things he has made and also to spread that which you know, he has made. If you think back to, to the garden, there's two humans in the story. God says, be fruitful and multiply, you know, subdue the earth, rule it, so on and so forth. The verbs are different from what they're supposed to do in the garden. The garden is like, you know, maintenance. It's easy. I mean, the curses show us this. The curses take the, the ease of the garden task away, and they, and, they, and they pervert the garden task into the, into the rest of the world task. Now everything, it, you know, it, there's, there's opposition. It, it's going to be harder. It's going to be hostile. The, the earth itself is under a curse, and it's going to rebel. So as I said in Unseen Realm, you know, all, the whole world isn't Eden at creation. Eden has geography. Eden is where God is. The humans are supposed to multiply and, and, and go out you know, into the hinterlands and, and subdue it and maintain it. You know, and there's there's other hints as, as well, you know, to to the fact that there's a job to do here. So what God wants done is he wants a human family. He wants it to increase. He wants all of the humans to know who he is. He wants them to, to progressively learn about and master the creation. He wants them to relate to each other as family members, you know, imagers of him. I mean, all of these core fundamental concepts God just wants to, he wants to come to earth and be with us. <laughs> just like in, in his own spiritual realm, he had a family there. He had a family, he had partners. He wants to do the same thing in, in the embodied world. So he creates that world for human beings. He creates them, he gives them a world to live in, and then he comes to that world because they can't come to him. He comes to that world you know, to, to live, with him, live with them and he brings his, his supernatural family with him so that the, everything can be blended. We're going we're gonna to turn this world in, into some glorified place that, that it's different than the other one. It's different than the, the spiritual world. This is a physical world, but God's here, you're here, they're here, and so let's enjoy it and, and, and then you know, work on what God wants us to do. You know, humans, the, the, the fundamental difference in all of this with all the ancient Near Eastern literature is, is everywhere else, you know, humans are sort of a, either a slave race or just kind of a nuisance. Mm -hmm. and, and for sure the gods don't want them around. Okay, this is why God, gods live where your humans don't. In the biblical story, humans live where God is from the start. This is the whole intention. You know, the, the, the idea of being God's representative is not just given to kings or select priests like in the ancient Near East. It's given to every human. I mean, there are fundamental differences in outlook in the biblical story to the rest of the ancient Near Eastern world that give us insight in, into God's attachment to his human creatures. Okay, I mean, it, he loves people and he can't shake it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just this, this is what it is. And so when things go wrong, again, God anticipates this because they're not me. I know it's going to happen, but I'd rather have a world in which there is suffering, and God suffers too. If we don't think God suffers, hey, God sees every act of evil everywhere with every person. You don't. Okay, so don't tell me God's getting off the hook here. If anything, he has it a whole lot worse. All right, but God would rather have that world exist than to not have us at all. Because those are the only two alternatives. They're either here, and I make them like me, so I can commune with them and they can commune with me and, and their family members were related and they're my partners. I'm going to, I'm going to let them do things that I can perfectly do on my own, but I want them to, to do it with me. You know, they, and they have to be like me to do these things. I'd rather have that world with all its potential failures and rebellions than to not have it at all. Man. I mean, it's, it's, this is, that's all practical theology. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> because it's, because it's just it, so, these I are things that should influence the way we think about ourselves. Yeah. And a, about lost people, about fellow Christians, you know, about what, what in the world we're here for, about what, what our mission should be. You know, again, these are, these are things that really revolve around your status, you know, who you are, and your, your mission— you know, what you're supposed to do, and then ultimately your destiny. 
And, and those are really, really significant things that propel us in life in just, you know, in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And yeah. And essentially every way, really. Yeah. Well, dang it, Mike, we're, we're out of time. <laughs> well, we, we can always pick up at some later point, you know? Oh yeah. I would absolutely love that. Um, well, but tell, tell, uh, people where they can find your book and your work. Yeah. The book you can find on Amazon, uh, it's the, the best place to go, uh, again, for the demons book, the angels book, and, and the one that sort of started the whole thing off unseen realm. If you don't like to read, uh, books with footnotes, I mean, these are, this is academic material, but it's still readable, but it, it nevertheless is academic material. Then I would recommend if you haven't read anything of mine, I would recommend reading supernatural because that's a distillation of the core ideas of unseen realm. And then, then you might be ready to jump into one of these other books if you're a new believer, I'd start with what does God want and then graduate to supernatural and graduate again to some of these other things. But amazon.com is where you find them all. My, my homepage is DR as in doctor, DRMSH. Those are my initials, DRMSH.com. And that will hook you into all the other stuff that I do. Yep, and I, I can't recommend his work enough. Y'all, please go support him. Um, Mike, thank you so much for uh, giving me your time, and I will definitely look forward to speaking to you again. All right, thank you.
Thank you. 